Welcome to the Creative Agency Account Manager podcast with me, Jenny Plant from Account Management Skills Training. I'm on a mission to help those in agency client service keep and grow those existing client relationships so your agency business can thrive. Welcome to episode 84. Now, if you're interested in the fast-changing world of generative AI and how clients and agencies are using it, then you're going to love this conversation. Roy Murphy is the founder of Synthetic, an agency specializing in emerging technologies. Now, Roy shares with me the main pain points generative AI is solving for clients and how he's currently advising his clients, what you need to know right now as an agency account manager about the AI industry, how he thinks the AI landscape will evolve in the future, and why agencies should be looking to partner with AI experts to help position themselves one step ahead of their clients. I absolutely love this chat with Roy. There are not many people in the agency world who have such a deep understanding of emerging tech. So I was very lucky to grab his time and all the resources that Roy shares, we will include in the show notes. So let's go over to the intro now. So today I'm delighted to be talking to Roy Murphy. Roy is the founder of Synthetic, a digital innovation agency who helps clients with emerging technologies such as Web3, AI, apps, voice, chat, AR, VR, etc. He also happens to be the host of the tech and business podcast, Conversations Worth Millions, where he interviews experts in marketing, business and tech and shares insights and practical ways to win with emerging technologies. Roy, a very warm welcome. Thank you, Jenny. Very pleased to be here. Big fan of the podcast. Looking forward to getting into it. Thank you so much. That means a lot to me. Would you, Mike, you've got such an interesting background, Roy. We've obviously had a a pre-chat. And you explained to me that you are a creative director, you're a digital strategist, you have this really eclectic mix of experience and skills. So would you mind starting off by just sharing a couple of minutes about what you did prior to Synthetic? Sure. And on top of that, we've got to add amateur boxer and failed boy band member. But we'll get get into that later, I'm sure. So I guess I'm I'm a classic T-shaped person. I'm just interested in lots of different things. And in the digital sphere, because, you know, I've had a bit of a background in development and as well as design and business, kind of wanted to try and work along all those kind of sectors and then delve deeper into each one. So that's kind of what I've done over roughly 20 years, both on client side and agency side, is, is have those many hats. I've enjoyed all of them. I can't deny I've been sacked out of a few because I kind of tend to not master things, but get into things quickly and then get a bit bored and move on to something else and want to try something else. But I think that's I think that's a good thing. I think that that kind of wide interest, as long as you can hone it and and have an interest and, and delve deeper into the correct areas, I think is really interesting. Mm, very interesting. So tell me, with the synthetic, I think you've been running that now for, I think, about over nine years now. What problems are clients coming to you with? And how do you help solve them at Synthetic? Sure. I think it's changed over time, interestingly, because we're really always at the forefront of technology. Technology changes, right? And we've seen in the last 10 years a couple of waves. Obviously, we've had mobile. So when the, the, the clients were coming to us for mobile and can our site be responsive and what can we do and how, why isn't it working on XYZ browser and so on and mobile phones and et cetera, it's, you know, we did that for quite a while and that was quite successful. And then we moved on to kind of IoT and and chat and voice and did the same thing. So the, the, the questions changed really over time. But ultimately, 
the output was always the same. How do we help our customers? Can we reduce costs? Can we generate revenue? And that hasn't really changed no matter what the technology is, because ultimately it's a catalyst. It's not the tech itself, although it's very shiny and new and quite exciting. But ultimately, what does it do for the customer and for the client itself and their business? That's the kind of key thing. And my understanding is, Roy, that you tend to work kind of upstream with clients, i.e. with C-suite level decision makers who ultimately, as you say, are looking to solve business challenges and business outcomes. So, I mean, I suppose some clients want the shiny penny or they're being distracted by the shiny penny. They just want to talk to you about the stuff. But fundamentally, can you explain how you work with your clients? I think you talked about your innovative workshop kind of process. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, I, th- I think it's it's always it always starts with education, particularly in the newer parts of, of technology we work with. And that often is what's the key pain point that they're working with. And it's usually along the lines of either automation and workflow inside or talking to customers outside. Really, it's those two things always. So a typical kind of engagement would often work within a workshop framework. OK, there's a technology that's come out, generative AI, for instance, in this case, but previously voice or chat and IoT. And that would be, okay, well, what do we need to know? What don't we know? And make it simple. Because obviously, you know, you've got C-suite in there. They're not in there to listen to a whole bunch of information around very deep and technical language models or, or, or GANs or whatever it might be. But what are the outputs of those things? I think it's just keeping it simple. And that's really, I think as agencies, that's our key job, is to understand the technology and the consumer and user behavior, and then to translate that for our clients in a simple and effective manner. So that really tends to be just talking and building that trust, understanding what is going on in the market and having a good a good broad view of the trends and the analysis and what that might affect in terms of their customers or clients. And being interested, to be honest, when half of it is in new engagements, it's just conversations. And these might be in you know, networking events or it could be at lunches or it could be slightly more, more kind of uh, random. But the conversation is always the same thing. It's not selling. It's just what are the pain points? Here's what we've seen. This is where the direction of travel is. And here's some thoughts perhaps on what might be the first steps to take and then the conversation builds from there really so i think it's always it's always really a trust-based scenario you're not selling you're just discussing and talking like we are now what's happening what are the opportunities where the interesting things what are the challenges and what are the what are the pitfalls and that really goes across the board of course when you're in c-suite you have to make it kind of punchy you have to make it snappy no one's got time they've got a million one things to do so you gotta you gotta make it quick so i think that simplification comes from i think knowledge and expertise and trust in your own kind of understanding of where it's going and what's actually happening in the market and translating that for our clients, I think, is the key thing. And that's never changed, whether it's C-suite or, or further down the chain. I mean, there aren't many people, I mean, given the fact that generative AI particularly has become pretty mainstream so quickly since the end of last year, there aren't that many experts, I would say, that would be able to have the breadth of experience and expertise that you have to be able to navigate them through what's happening right now. So could you sort of start by sharing your thoughts and perspective on how generative AI has kind of exploded in the last few months and what principally for marketing clients, what do you think the key things they need to be aware of are? Sure. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because so generative uh, as a phrase probably wasn't in the, the vernacular at all really class for, for three, four months ago. It just wasn't being used. Now, of course, it hasn't come from nowhere. You know, AI itself is you know, 50, 60 years old back, back in kind of Turing times. But it's interesting. From about 2014 onwards, if, if you've been in that space, there's been leaps and bounds, not commercially, but under the hood with all the different kind of 
language models and GANs and adversarial networks and all the kind of work going on underneath it. And often what that would come out in the last few years would be better quality image generation. And you'd see these little kind of, you know, ticks up over time and so on. Um, and that's kind of exploded over the last year or so with various different technologies. So over the last few months, really, people have been starting to say to us, what, what is generative and how does it work and what do we do with it? So from a business perspective and from a, a kind of a cultural perspective, I guess, the OpenAI, when they launched in December last year with ChatGPT, what they've really done, as we see it, is they've basically launched a killer app for AI. So we've been talking about this for seven or eight or nine years in our business. And that's been through various iterations of, of you know, uh, chatbots and voice. And that's using some conversational AI pieces and intents and classifications. But those things have now sort of increased exponentially with, with the amount of big data going into these large language models. And that's made the whole thing useful. And the reason it's useful is because obviously the, the data going into it is, is, quite, is quite high and quite, quite a lot of data. But it's now just an easily commercially understandable proposition. It's chat. It's something easy we can actually use and work with. And that's been a big difference. So really what's happened is, you know, and if you look at OpenAI in particular, there are other models, by the way. It's not just OpenAI and GPT. But as we talked about the, the huge consumer push in this, so this is really, I think I'm right in saying it's probably the biggest consumer application kind of launch in the last 10 or 15 years. It really is. I think the last, the last data we heard was it was 100 million users. And that was back in January. Now, interestingly, since then, they've, I wouldn't say closed ranks, but you, you can see what's happened. The, the whole thing's exploded. Everyone's realizing it's an interesting space to be in. So the data coming out of, of companies like OpenAI, which is understandable, they're, they're, a, you know, they're a business, is a bit less, more closed. So we don't know what the actual numbers are, but they're pretty high. So basically, since that point, what's really happened is we've got the, I guess, the combination of you know, consumer behavior, technological change, societal change, post-COVID, all kind of coming together in a very simple interface. So all that technology in the background has been happening for the last 10 years has now kind of exploded. There's a way to get involved in it. And now you've got two challenges as far as we see it. You've got, well, what do I do with it? And the other side of the coin, you've got what we call infinite canvas, which is, well, you can do anything. So there's a balance really of understanding how the technology works, but what should you do with it? When you've got a massive, it's the opposite of you know white space problem. What do you do with it when you can do anything? And that's actually a lot of the questions we get from our clients are, well, that's great, but what, what do I do? Is it, do I start with social? And should I be using it to, to you know, transform my social and improve that automation process? Or should I be using it for ideation and kind of new product development? Should I be using it for SEO and helping to like keyword search and social and so on? So many different ways you can take it. And that's actually part of the challenge of what we've been doing over the last few years, but in particular the last six months of actually helping our clients to understand which of those are the most appropriate, how we can help them best and what they should do first. And I guess that's how we're kind of approaching it. Lovely explanation. Thank you. I mean, can you give us an example of, let's say, for example, a client has come to you with the SEO question? Because I suppose when we're having this conversation, we're wearing two hats. Roy, you're talking to your clients all the time about how they can use it from the marketing client perspective, but also at the same time, agencies kind of traditionally have been leading their clients into the future. So there'll be agencies listening, possibly feeling a bit threatened by what's happening. You know, if I'm an account manager working in performance marketing agency, and one of our services is SEO, I kind of need to kind of be on top of things to understand how I can guide my client. 
And, you know, because we're all learning about this at exactly the same time. So perhaps could you give like an example or a use case of how you are helping guide clients around one particular area, any area that comes to mind? Sure. There's quite a few. Actually, interestingly, there really is a lot of use cases here and we'd be quite busy. It's a lot, a lot of conversations coming back and forth. Imagine. A couple of them might come to mind. Definitely on the social side and content side. So there's a, a quite obvious use case across lots of, of elements, which is if you've got content, can you repurpose it? Can you sweat the assets as it were? What can we do with it? Can we use things like GPT to say, okay, well, we've classified this data and this information and we've got it. Can we run it through a couple of automations? Try maybe something a little bit different and then repurpose that content through social. So that's one thing that we've been talking about quite a lot with our clients. And that is quite powerful. And again, not to jump into any SEO agencies or content agencies that are doing great work. You always need a human, by the way. Human in the loop is still very important. You can't do everything on AI. Uh, human and machine equals win, as we like to say. But we've had lots of conversations. That's probably the number one use case. I've got lots of content. Can you help me to create more content from what I've got? Because I'm a bit concerned about generating fresh content with automation. Is it going to be any good? Is it going to hallucinate, as they say? Is it going to be correct, factual, et cetera? So there's definitely still some human interaction in that. But that's quite a big part. And then what you do with that, and there are some, there's there's several automations that we're running with and integrations that are helping to use that content and to, to repurpose that across different social channels. So that is really, I'd say one of the top three use cases is content generation. But content generation from a repurposing perspective, not necessarily from a, a starting from scratch perspective. Although I would add to that, that in terms of research and insight, tools like GPT are very important and almost become, I'm loathe to say, it, you know, they're invaluable in our view. You can work without them, but I don't see why you would. Because from the kind of creator and the hacker and maker mentality, which is kind of, you know, very, very popular and kind of overground these days, creator economy that's really kind of come through into this consumer application view of, of ai with, with open ai is that actually anyone can do it you do need to know what you're doing with it but you can automate it quite quickly and you can test it quite quickly and you can use it for research and insight so it's not just banging out some quick prompts in in chat gpt it's it's what data have you got what are you trying to do what personas are you trying to imagine and using it in the right in the right way i guess so that's definitely one use case there's definitely a, a couple more within automation flows so much more of what are your internal processes so what's your crm doing and how can we potentially automate that with generative and again not just chat gpt other other elements too how can we automate that so it might be that your workflow and your funnel may be email to customer email sequence into database pull out database with sentiment review sentiment contact customer in a certain way, for instance, like a nice and simple kind of serum flow. That's also achievable with generative. So these workflows are, so you've got this, the social and content piece on one side, but on the other side, these, these workflows are also kind of becoming, I think, table stakes for businesses and businesses that aren't using them are, are wasting time and effort from their staff doing manual tasks that don't need to be done by a person, need to be overseen by a person for sure. Absolutely right. I, I totally buy, buy that. But that's something we're seeing more and more. We're working with two, one in particular, but two large enterprises doing exactly that around their internal communication to start with. Because again, you can imagine, and rightly so, it's a new box of tricks. Call it that for want of a better word. It just is. Uh, that's the reality of it. 
So there has to be some checks and some balances within this. So a good way of doing that is to keep it, you know, if it's business, you know, crucial data, you might want to keep that kind of in-house and you'll be putting everything through a, a publicly available, potentially publicly available or publicly trained model, if you like. So that's one thing to be aware of. But that's changing because other APIs and enterprise level things you can do with GPT are actually solving that quite quickly. So that's another use case is workflow and automation. There is a lot of ideation as well. So social, obviously, content, workflow automation. Ideation and in terms of product generation is interesting. We've had several conversations about that and how that actually connects with other technologies around emerging tech, such as Web3, but that's another conversation. So these, these things are all coming together, by the way, there's conversions. But ideation is really important. There's a lot of a lot of work. It's often the same way, uh, fashion. is is There's fashion and another industry I won't mention, which are all often at the very forefront of technology. You can imagine the, the other one. Fashion is always, same with Web3, actually, but same in generative. We've seen that in, I think, Fashion Week a couple of weeks ago. Lots of brands starting to do, okay, this is generative. How are we going to do this? And big brands like Nike and Coca-Cola recently actually are starting to do what I would call real UGC, which is has been the, the nirvana for many years, right? Very popular 10 years ago. Didn't really work. Co-creation is fine to a point, but you need skills. You, know, you need to be able to, to have, have kind of professional skills to do it properly. And it kind of tapered out a little bit. I'm, I'm banging to co-creation. Both new tools. So Coke are doing, I think, uh, quite recently, a, a toe in the water. So they're sandboxing it and keeping it very much on brand but using some of the newer tools like Midjourney and Stable Diffusion, the image tools, to get creators to create and then use that as part of their back campaigns and be showcased in places like Piccadilly Circus and, and Times Square on the digital billboards. Amazing. So my way of thinking would be, and these are big brands, fashion, of course, you kind of understand that, but these big brands like Coke and Nike as well and various other ones, are understanding this technology is quite game-changing. And they're willing to put, you know, even if it's, call it PR dollars for want of a better word, terrible phrase, but, you know, even if it is that, it's still happening. If they're willing to back it, you should be too. And that's what we're saying to a lot of our clients. They don't have to go all in for it. You don't have to say, right, we're doing nothing but AI and, and generative and GPT. This is it. Great. Nothing else. Going to sap all our staff and we're just going to use chat GPT. Absolutely incorrect. What we should be doing is experimenting and learning and being involved and talking to the right people and so on. And getting those resources together, there's plenty out there. You would be bonkers not to, frankly, because Schrodinger's cat, as it were, is not going back in the box, right? We're, we're out, it's out now. It exists. It isn't going back in the box. There are checks and balances. And interesting to note, the UK government, I think it was yesterday, with their AI regulatory piece, it's gone very light touch. So some other, bit, some other countries around the world, a bit heavier on the AI. And actually, interestingly, not to be political, but I think it's an interesting... As part of yesterday's, uh, day before's conversations, AI was at the centerpiece of a lot of what was being said, which I thought was fascinating. Probably the first time I've seen that, because UK, of course, is, you know, I think after the US is, I think, is second or third in terms of VC funding for AI. Of course, we've got, you know, Silicon Fen and, and London and, you know, et cetera, and other places too. So I thought it was interesting. That's actually happening, as well as the light touch regulation is actually a bit of a boon for and a direction of travel for where it's going from a political perspective. And that's kind of what I said, just to wrap up that bit. Sorry for the long answer, but where I'm going with it is that we believe this is not just technological consumer behavior and societal change, political change as well. So I think you've got the whole four. And that's why we think it's a massive opportunity. Roy, I think that was so well explained. Thank you so much for making it sound 
semi-simple to kind of follow. Interestingly, I have been following what's happening with Coca-Cola. And I, my understanding, as you said, is that they've signed an agreement with Bain and OpenAI. And again, your thoughts and advice around keep experimenting, keep learning, I think is very well placed because you just need to keep an eye on on what's changing because Coke is is usually very kind of innovative, isn't it? I mean, with the NFT space, I think they worked on Decentraland. They launched a range of N- NFTs. So they're, they're kind of well known for being at the forefront of technology and what's changing. I've got a couple of questions just to kind of ask. There's just for people listening that perhaps aren't as kind of up to date with what's changing. Just a couple of quick questions. Has Google said that they will penalize any content, do you know, that's been generated by AI? And the second question is, how reliable do you think is the data that's being produced or the answers that are being produced currently with chat GPT, which is now four? I've signed up for four. You know, just a couple of questions for people that perhaps aren't as up to speed. Sure. So Google, interesting. Saw something interesting this morning about Google, interestingly, and that was about their. I, my understanding is their adversarial AI teams actually burying the hatchet to work together because there are. I think there's Deep Mind, and I think I think I'm right in saying there's, there's two separate teams. GPT is a massive threat for Google. It's such a bonkers thing to say for a a, a publicly launched company, you know, a company that's, that's launched their latest version, I should say, in in November, December of last year, to say that they're that Google are running scared a little bit is actually. I think factually correct. So I guess you could look at it two ways. Now, we spend quite a bit of time in the content space as well. So quite, I can know quite a lot. I've done quite a bit in in around the the kind of the content and blog space and EAT stuff and what Google actually looks for and doesn't. The general consensus is they are going to penalize because if, from a business perspective, they're, they're a massive competitor. And of course, if listeners don't know, OpenAI is, is I think nearly 50% owned by Microsoft. So big tech hasn't gone away. This isn't a, a scrappy startup that's jumped in and said, oh, look at this amazing thing we've got. It's Microsoft who invested, I think, 50 billion or something, something large into OpenAI. So they're coming after Microsoft. Now, Microsoft, of course, to close that loop, have Bing. Bing uses GPT-4. You know, they'll be doing deals with Apple. They're back in the game, as it were. You know, I mean, Microsoft, are, you know, brilliant company and very, very kind of influential and forward thinking. But they haven't been on top of that big tech tree for several years. You know, as we know, the, the big social platforms and, and big tech as we know it, that's changing, I think. So you asked me the question, we haven't seen any penalizing today, but that's going to change. Because, of course, you've got the, the high-level, massive, big tech, 50-year, you know, 100-year plan. Where's this going? We can't let this guys take our lunch. We can't. It's not going to. So that's one thing. And that's a really important point to note. So I think it will because their algorithms will definitely favor Google, always does, always has done. That's their business model. That's fine. So that will change. It maybe hasn't today. Things are getting cleverer, though, as well. It's really interesting because, of course, if you're generating content from GPT, there are plenty of ways of using tools to recreate that. And it can use GPT itself to personify it. Talk like I'm a real person. Dumb it down a little bit. Make it less verbose. There's lots and lots of, of conversations they've had about prompt, prompt engineering and so on so there are ways around it but then google have got massive teams and they're going to change so i think i wouldn't be putting out a complete you know site or whatever it might be of just generated content just wouldn't that's probably not what it's for doesn't mean to say people aren't doing it 
and I know a lot of school kids <laughs> certainly are. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. And what? Who could blame? Oh, can someone write this Shakespeare? This is going to take <laughs> a while. Hmm, okay, I get that. So, yeah, it's coming. So, like I say, human in the loop, never going to change, in my view. For certain things, absolutely automation and so on. But that creativity is, is going to have to be passed at some point through editing, at some point through, and that might be automated. It might be that you know, copy it in itself might change and how people interact with it. But again, it's back to that co-piloting. That well, it's probably going to take some jobs, in fairness, but it, it's not taking everything. And if you're embracing it and you're leaning into it and you're utilizing it to make your job easier, I don't personally see what the problem is. And that's from from my side. So I think that's quite an important point to make, actually. That you know, AI, by the way, isn't evil or good. It's an inanimate object. It doesn't exist. And it isn't sentient yet. Another point to make, sorry to, to go back, is when we talk about artificial intelligence, and again, I'm not a, a data scientist, but I, we work with plenty of good ones. This is basically about huge amounts of data, not about artificial sentience. This is just lots and lots of money to put behind data to give it a prompt to what to do next, therefore to sound more like a human. That's basically it. There isn't a box of tricks. It isn't magic. It's just lots of data, transformed and pre-transformed. So, so that was first the first one. What was your second question? Sorry. No, no before I go back to the go back to the second question, this yeah. I'm bursting with questions. Just for people listening again, Roy, who perhaps aren't as kind of up to speed or they're kind of catching up with what it is, I think we didn't start with the definition of AI, but you've just said it's it's essentially a huge amount of data. Who actually inputs that data? Where are they getting that data from in order to then kind of generate the responses? It's just a, in essence, again, I don't, I don't work for OpenAI, but you're basically looking at the internet, in essence, is what you're doing. Hence, the issue you've got is that what's the information? Are those sources verified? We all know, you know yourself and, and for your listeners too. There'll be sources every day that you'll go you'll go to, your trusted sources, whether that be X or Y, whatever your, your, your flavor is. And they're probably where you get most of your information from. So if you're leaning one way or the other, you're probably going to get the data. That's, you know, we all know where, where this has come from with, you know, various social platforms. You're being served up more of the same thing, and that's advertising anyway, you know, based on your profile and your usage. So there is a question of bias to be aware of as well, of course. And that is a big challenge because if the world's data is being put in so the what the online data that's available is being put into these large language models but if that data is flawed well then the answer is going to be flawed we've seen that in plenty of cases particularly some of the bigger social platforms have had some big problems with that but again you know going back to the social era where if you know you can't sort the product is it's you there is an element of course of the data that you are putting into gpt and, and various models is actually helping to support that now good actors like us will be you know doing things like oh, i want to find out about a product so i want to do some seo whatever it might be there'll be plenty of people who won't be doing that so there is that but these are open models to a point but where i guess that's going is private models and that's already happening with apis and because you know you, you're not going to put all of your company data into an open process where potentially could be hacked it's just not going to happen so it has to be behind firewalls. so there's a bit a big security an enterprise level element to that for sure. But that's already happening, you know, because we're seeing more and more integrations already already with GPT again. Integrations of plugins, I should say, have been launched last week. We're desperately trying to get into that. We have got some access and some beta access. But that's another game changer, not to make things even more complicated. Because the problem we've got, course, Jenny, the major issue is if the data isn't understood and you don't know where it's come from, it will hallucinate or it will it might necessarily be correct. Therefore you're getting bad answers out, bad answers in. That's changing, though. 
because this simply put the integrations of the plugins. So Wolfram Alpha, for instance, was, was mentioned, which is, you know, search engine for, for more kind of scientific uh, answers, correct scientific answers, is a plugin. So now you're not going to have all of these, where's it come from? Is that correct? Is that hallucination? Is it right? It's, that's not, in, in probably in three months, once they rolled the beta out, tested it, got their correct partners in and moved on, that's going to go away. That's a technology problem. That's not a, a business problem. And that'll be solved in my view. You've actually answered the second question with this. And can you just repeat the name of that search engine for scientific data? Wolfram Alpha. Wolfram Alpha. Because the reason behind my question was with agencies who are listening to this, you know, thinking, right, we're going to start experimenting or starting using it. I suppose some are thinking, you know, how accurate is this going to be? Are there citations? Can I rely on what it's telling me? So you've just answered that very well. And let's move on to the whole thing about open AI, opening their API to, you know, apps, websites, products, services, everything. I know that kind of people like Shopify, HubSpot are kind of the early adopters, aren't they? And just talk to me about what you're seeing, because this is also very, very recent, and how that's going to change the game. Well, I think it changes everything, because the minute you've got an API and ingesting that information, you, you can do anything. So that, that exactly means, an exactly, back to the plugins again and to, the, and to the APIs. So things like, I think the one that was mentioned in the demo last week was OpenTable. So, okay, see, so again, more of that API ingestion integration and plugin is like, okay, so, so getting back to the Google question, why would you go to Google for an answer with, we know all the model, the 10 links and the ads and everything, we get that, but you're not getting the contextual information. You're getting an answer, but then you have to kind of ascertain, is it a, is it a scam? Is it a link? Is it, do I trust it? What is it? If you're in a box and that can be on an app, by the way, so the API question, this can be an app anywhere, can be an open table, could be on the GPT website itself, which it won't be in the future, by the way. People won't be coming there. We're doing, we're doing other things. We get onto that. That's a game changer because it's basically the same as having Google with answers, in essence, and down the line, real answers. So, so APIs, um, I saw a couple of interesting thoughts on this this week and last week that open AI itself with APIs and plugins and integrations is kind of becoming a new type of business which is a super aggregator. So it's kind of what Facebook and Google and you know the GAFA, FANGMA, as well as the, the acronym is for the big four or five. They could really you know, disintermediate a whole lot. They could all go away. Now, it probably won't, but it could. Because if you're using APIs, so you start with a search. So just say that the same paradigm exists and you start with a search. But ultimately, you don't have to go anywhere. And that search doesn't have to start with GPT, you could be on OpenTable, or you could be in Shopify, or you could be in Gucci, or you could, but it, it it's ingested into it as an API, as an open API, right? You can use it, you can pay for it, of course. So your, you know, Jenny and, and Roy's app has GPT and could do everything, but we've got a particular niche and we've got a hyper-personalized focus and that's what we're doing. So it changes everything. Wow. Tell me a bit more about that. That sounds fascinating, this new business model, a new way of using it. So at the moment, Roy, for example, you go onto OpenA's interface, you're using chat GPT or three or four, and you're putting in your query and it's spitting out the answers. And, you know, I mean, it's just mind blowing. But in the future, like let's take the open table example. Obviously, they are plugging in to the chat GPT API 
And therefore, tell me how that kind of works. Like, do you not see that we're going to be starting a search on Google? How's that going to change? Just explain, break it down for an absolute novice like me. Yeah. Like I said, I think we've gotten so used to, you know, Google is a verb, right? We know that. It's a verb. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it just is. Sellotape, you know, the, the, yeah. the brands. Yeah, Hoover. fantastic. We're the, <laughs> we're the verb. Synthetic. Oh, no, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> all, all those things are verbs, right? So, but that's just that's because it's 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 just usage. It's just people have gotten used to it. I'll Google it. I'm not saying people are going to sell I'll, I'll GPT it, but I'll tell you what, from the school playground to business to bus tube drivers to people in shops the conversations i've heard just just listening and i've got kids by the way i wasn't in the school play, school playground yes. for, no, for no apparent reason just to be clear they're all talking about it that's very unusual so that's the paradigm shift that i think is coming because we're just used to it and that's why i think they're running they're, they are really really terrified because this may seem like a small because again just, just to to make the the point again that we're talking about a chatbot all we're talking about at the moment is a website. Just strip everything back. Right, it's amazing that's happening. Yeah, we're yeah. just talking about a box, a little box, on a site that you do something. That was Google in 1996, and look what happened to Google. Whatever's happened into their internal teams, their, their AI, DeepMind, they bought it like ten years ago. They should have been on top of this. And Facebook, they weren't for whatever reason. I don't know why. Maybe it's talent. Maybe it's Silicon Valley. Maybe it's investment. I don't know. So imagine Google didn't exist. So it's gone. There's no more Google. Wow, okay, what do you do? We'll use something else. We'll use Bing. You can use another search engine. That's why I think this is fascinating, because I think that we're on the cusp of a massive change in how we we interact with everything. And it started with the little chatbot box, which, having been in the conversational AI game for several years, when we were talking about this stuff seven or eight years ago and, and doing all the really hard work of natural language processing and understanding and intense classifications and trying to keep people on rails and oh my god this would have been magic absolutely magic now you, you can't do everything there you're still going to have to have those i've got a lot, a lot of powers in the conversational game and they're, they're not going anywhere but they're very excited about this as well and how this is going to kind of marry together but i think it's as big a shift as the google search bar and i think they're not only going anywhere but there's a propensity for the i think the phrase was the apex aggregator for open ai to be in the coming decade and you know what i'm not you know we're all in on it I'm, I'm not a maximalist in that sense and just like it's all that and nothing else but i, I think as a business and agencies if, if you're not really getting on top of this and under, understanding what's happening i think you're gonna have a problem i really do I, I totally agree with you and this is just i think absolutely it's going to be i mean it's a bit cliche term but paradigm shift in what we do. And for that reason, I've been banging on about it, particularly with the account management community to say, you know, keep ahead of this, keep an eye on this. So let's bring it back to an account manager and an agency owner who may be listening to this thinking, okay, I get it. It's going to change everything. At the moment, perhaps we're not entering in that conversation with the clients, but Clients probably, many clients are starting to ask about it. And I'd love to just kind of chat to you about initially, where are we going to see agencies having to adapt? And what's your advice for them so that they can start, you know, looking at testing use cases just in the agency business itself? Have you got any thoughts on that? 
Mm. We were chatting earlier, actually. Sorry, I pinged over a, a yes. uh, account manager resource for you, just a very short so one uh, before we chatted, which is a, if I'm saying, it's a it's very, very basic 101 for account managers around generative. That took an hour. Now, I, di- I didn't use a developer. I'm, I'm, I have developed, but I'm not a developer. I ran a process of using ChatGPT and Replit, which is a, if you know, if you've heard, I'm sure some of you listening would have heard of uh, GitHub. It's another version of GitHub, which have interestingly, sorry, sideswipe, GitHub is also owned by Microsoft. Do you see why Google is scared? So GitHub, Copilot AI, and it's actually very well used and well recommended. It's a, it's a good tool. They're, they're AI part of, of GitHub. They're Copilot. Replit is a newer one. Google have just gotten into bed with them yesterday. You see what's happening here? I see. Because they're just trying to grab this this information from from different places which is really interesting so but point being ai is being democratized this is what's happening here if you take it's like a, a helicopter view that's what's actually happening so for agencies and marketing managers and account managers and so on you've got to educate yourself and the basics aren't difficult you have to lead into this a little bit and you know it can't be the it guy in the corner the geeky guy or, or girl going yeah have you seen judge yeah it's a bit yeah i don't really like it no no you you, you need to because your client's going to start asking for it. Now, I will go back onto that point. The other way of putting it is, talking about APIs, we're in open environment of business now. We're in partnership land, not just us, but this is where the future is going. It isn't silos, it's partnerships. So you need to be partnering with us or someone else, and it's like, you know, whatever's appropriate for you for your business. But if you just, what we're talking about on the, on the macro level of Google and Replit and, and Copilot and AI and all the things that are super aggregators in the middle, agencies need to do the same thing. You're going to be toast, literally. You're, and again, this is not against any content or SEO agency or creative agency or development agency. But all the things we talked about touch on all those things. If I can put together a reasonably, again, I've got very, very good, and they're literally crying, laughing at this point, going, why did I do that? We'll just do that better. The point wasn't that. Is more, as a business owner, these tools are now available even to demo and to prototype and go, well, I've got an idea. Those are the things you should be taking to your clients. If you can't do them, come and talk to us or people like us. Because this is where it's going. That, that whole open partnership era, I think, has started. And I think this type of kind of paradigm, if you like, is going to accelerate it. And that's really the important point here, that you can't ignore this. It, it, and it is a tiny box in the thing, but it won't be in three months or six months and a year. And again, I mean that across anything. And I mean that everything from PR agencies to dev shops to pure content to SEO to brand agencies to brand extension, doesn't matter. If you're not on top of this, you're going to have a problem. So first of all, this resource that you created, and it took you an hour, which is unbelievable. First of all, thank you for doing it. It's essentially for those that are listening, we are going to include the link. Do you have the link handy, Roy, or should we put that afterwards? We'll, We'll stick it in the notes. We'll stick it in the show notes. So basically, Roy has very kindly given a 101 for account managers for the terminology and the acronyms that are used most frequently in generative AI so that you can sort of upskill yourself in terms of the types of terms that are used in this space. So thank you for doing that. Secondly, I think you've made such a brilliant point about partnership because I know lots of different agencies are partnering with other agencies and it makes total sense if your clients or you see that there's an opportunity to be more forward thinking with your clients, partnering with an agency like Synthetic would help you kind of quickly 
have that skill set. So Roy, is that something that you, because I know that you work with you know, big enterprise level clients, you work with different kind of marketing clients, but you also partner with agencies. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. You have to. You absolutely have to. From a very simple business perspective, obviously it's, it's just a good idea because you can share resources, approach clients together, build teams out, whatever it might be, and expertise, and that's agency land anyway. That generally happens. I think there's been a shift though, and I don't know about what you've seen, but say the last three or four years, that slightly, oh, they're frenemies, I'm not going to talk to those agencies because they might be able to, as, seemed to me, has, has changed, I believe. Maybe because of the, the area we're in, maybe because people are often coming to us and saying, we don't understand this, can you help? Absolutely, that might be the case. But I think there's a bit of a shift in terms of understanding that whole kind of openness around technology and society and behavior change as well. Because everyone's talking about it, well, why aren't we doing it? Because that's a danger of being left behind as agencies because you need to look at business models too, not just the way you work, but how are you co-creating with your clients? Because if your if you're smart marketing manager at your client is going, I've got five ideas, and I've I've demoed them and I've prototyped them. What do I need? What, what do I need you for again? I get the what you do is great and that's brilliant. But by the way, I figured out how to automate three of these things. So you know that retainer we've got. Kind of like worried that that's actually a little bit expensive, and I'm going to half it. Now I'm being you know I'm playing the devil's advocate, but it, that, that's the truth of it, right? Listen, that's the truth. I've just written a blog post and an email to my audience talking about this very thing that I think. Everyone needs to be armed, particularly because my, you know, my audience is account managers, just about having the agency's point of view on AI, because account managers particularly are having those conversations with their clients on a daily basis. They're probably going to be the first point of call where this topic is going to come up. And second of all, I think I was trying to think about, you know, what's the angle from the client's perspective? What's the account manager going to be asked, first of all? First of all, there's a procurement website where they give procurement people a list of questions they should be asking their agencies Mm -hmm. about AI. So that's the first thing that I can share the link to the questions and the resource. Second of all, I think you're right, Roy. You know, we're paying for this retainer, but we're not seeing a reduction in the retainer with you being a little bit more efficient with how you're creating content for us. So that's going to be a second conversation that I think clients are going to start having with account managers about, well, hang on a sec, this cost estimate isn't changing, but I know from my own experience, just using it myself, mm-hmm. that we could be speeding up this process somehow. So yeah. if you're not having the conversation, then either they think, I think they're going to be left with the thought that you're not interested, you don't know what's going on. So I'm agreeing with you. It's agency one-on-one, isn't it? And again, the, the, you know, what comes up constantly with clients, our agency partners aren't proactive enough. And guess what? Now we can be proactive. Why do we need you? So if you're not high up the food chain, having those conversations understanding because you've got to be ahead of, of of technology for your clients you have to know more than they do that's what you're for you know in your specialism doesn't have to be an ai expert but if you're a you know seo or whatever content agency or development shop who's not going to come to you and say have you used copilot and are you doing that and okay even if it's not we want to double the work we want more efficient work so why is the cost the same the output should be quicker. Now, have I missed something or is the output quicker? Well, it's not any quicker. Well, but these guys are saying it is, and they've obviously proved that that's it makes it more competitive. And in fact, to be honest, I see that as a as a good thing because it just washes out a whole bunch of, you know, not bad actors, but inefficient businesses, agencies too. Because, you know, with a bit of uh, Darwinism, you know, it's it's evolved or die, isn't it? It's not not the strongest, the one that's most adaptable to change. 
that's what happens. And if this isn't an adaptable to change shift, I don't know what is. So that's keep it in mind, listeners. I agree, Roy. I'm with you 100%. So listen, I'm very conscious of your time. We're coming up to the hour, which has just gone so quickly. I've just been riveted by this conversation. Any final pieces of advice, particularly for agencies tuning in? And also, I'd love you to share contact details. If there's any agency that's kind of thinking, hey, I need to be ahead of this. I would love to have a chat with Roy. Would you be open to having a conversation with another agency that perhaps, you know, is potentially looking for a partnership and any kind of final pieces of advice? Sure. Well, first of all, yes, absolutely. Come and talk to us. Always willing to have a conversation. It's never a sales pitch. Have a convo. Give us some pointers partner up, whatever, but more than happy. We're always, always open for that. Key things are educate yourself. And again, we mentioned it earlier, but when we're chatting, I'm not sure if we mentioned it on the, on the pod, but this technology or the consumer facing part of this technology is four, what are we now? Four months old. Now there's a thing called the 10,000 hour rule, which we know about. It's a, again, for listeners, you know, you can master anything 10,000 hours. If you spent 40 hours a week on chat GPT from the 1st of December, you're only in the hundreds. So no one's an expert. Basically, right? Yes, there are people who understand it and they understand AI and how it works puts together, and that's obviously a skill. But you can get to grips with this pretty quickly, and you should. So that's the first place to start. Chat to us, chat to other people, plenty of resources out there. Literally go into ChatGPT and ask it. What are the best resources? Great. Now at the moment it's not going to give you the up-to-date links to that, but that's coming pretty soon. Because I've already said the integrations and, and the APIs, it's already there, basically, just not, not launched yet. Two things to keep in mind that must must mention GPT 4. Is seven months old. It's not new. The GPT-5, it's already underway. What's out now was launched seven months ago internally. So just keep that in mind, everyone. This isn't the sharp end of the wedge by country mile. So that's an important point to note. But do educate yourself. I'd be remiss to mention that we are helping for free to skill up social enterprises, charities, NGOs, and what I've missed. Non-profits, <laughs> excuse me. We do a lot of work in that space, and we've got an initiative called AI April. We're nearly full because we've got one-to-one sessions only with those types of organizations to help them because we think it's a really important thing, and I think it really help them. So if there's any account managers or charities that are listening who know someone who wants to get some upskill from the experts on our side, we're happy to help them. We're running a whole bunch of workshops in April for that. Amazing, because I do know some agencies that are focused just on the charity space, so That would be particularly interesting for them, as well as some of these enterprises that are listening. That's incredible. Anything else, Roy? I know that I could spend another three hours talking to you about this stuff, but is there anything I haven't asked you that I should have done? Um, No, you know, I'm loathe to recommend a bunch of tools. From a commercial perspective, we do have our vetted database of, I think, nearly 500 tools, actually, which we use with our clients. So unfortunately, can't get that out, but we do work with with our partners. But you can go and look for the, the relevant tools and so on. I'm on LinkedIn, Roy Murphy. You'll see my lovely AI face. I'm much more handsome in real life. Don't be uh, put off by it. But please come and see me there. Always willing to to chat and to to connect with people. And what would be my final thought? It's happening. You know, it's not going anywhere. You need to get involved, right? Even if it's just in your free time to bring back to your boss to say, I'm more efficient because I've done this. You'll probably get a pay rise. You never know, right? So do, do that. Do that if nothing else. And I'm always willing to have a discussion and a chat particularly any other of the younger listeners as well. We're always keen to give my tuppence. Well, I'm not even asked for it. Happy to to mentor at, at, at points and and put my tuppence in if, if people want a bit of career advice. So yeah, partnerships all over. Come and talk to us if, if you're interested in generative and emerging tech. 
that's what we do. It's an exciting time. We'll see you at work. Thank you so much, Roy. This has been absolutely superb. And we're going to put all the links in the show notes. I've been following Roy for a while and he shares some fantastic content. So make sure that you link in with him. Roy, thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Roy and please do get in touch with him if you're keen to discuss any aspect of what we covered today. And finally, if you'd like to talk to me about agency account management training, I've just updated my website to include three of the main courses that I run to help you retain and grow your existing client relationships. So you can find the details at accountmanagementskills.com. I'm also launching shortly a managing difficult client conversations training. So if you're an account manager and you'd like to be notified when this goes live, you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter and the details are on my website too. So I look forward to seeing you on the next one.